Sermon passage for this morning is John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. John 15, 1 to 8, hear the word of the true and living God. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, be, may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the great privilege of being gathered together in your name. We thank you for the great blessing of having your word, and we thank you for the great blessing of Christ, uh, who is the true vine. Father, I pray that you would bless us this morning. Uh, may this word sink down into the hearts of your people, uh, that we would be shaped and molded through them, that we would be encouraged to fight sin in our own lives and to seek to pursue Christ, to abide in the vine now and always, that you may be glorified and that we may prove to be your disciples. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're picking up again with our series in John's Gospel, and we're here now in chapter 15. Uh, now just to recap, uh, roughly the first half of John's Gospel uh, covers the three years of Jesus' public ministry, and then the second half slows down the pace, and we get a much more detailed account of the last week of Jesus' life than what we find in any of the other Gospels, uh, particularly the section we're in now, which is the final evening that Christ spent with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. So Christ has been here in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the Passover. You may remember it was here that he washed his disciples' feet. It is here that he instituted a new ordinance for them, what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion. And then chapter 14 ends with a, what appears to be a transition. Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. Now, some suppose that the rest of the dialogue, the rest of chapters 14 to 17, uh, continues as Jesus and his disciples are then making their way uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, others, however, suggest that they remain in the upper room until chapter 18, uh, which also has another transition to the garden there. And so the way that this is explained is that uh, basically the natural way that things go uh, as people are preparing to leave. How many of you kids can relate to this, where your mom or dad has said, we're going now, only to have them get caught up in four or five more conversations between here and the door, right? Uh, so this is the explanation here, that Jesus may have said he was going, that we are going to go, uh, but then continued in the upper room uh, for the chapters of 15 to 17 as the conversation continued. Uh, or it may have been the discussion that Jesus and his disciples had as they walked through the streets of Jerusalem. Either way, uh, Jesus is continuing to prepare his disciples for his departure. Uh, the setting does not really bear on the text. Uh, so, chapter 15, Jesus now gives an illustration that I think is extremely useful to us 
to understand the Christian life. And so let's dive in here together. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus begins this new metaphor, this illustration. Uh, We see we have a vine, uh, we have a vine dresser or a gardener, we have fruitful and unfruitful branches. Now some of the meaning here, Jesus tells us directly, he says that he is the vine, uh, that his father is the gardener, and that we are the branches. And so what this metaphor is going to do is help to explain some of what Jesus has just described in the previous section. So he has been describing the life of the Christian. If you look back into chapter 14, uh, how Christians are going to be loved by the Father and the Son, how their love for the Son will produce obedience, right? If you love me, you will keep my commands. And how all of this will happen then is going to be through the Spirit who will indwell believers and unite them to Christ and the Father. And so now Jesus gives an illustration of these things using the metaphor of the vine. So he is the vine, his Father is the gardener, and we are the branches. And he says, every branch that does not bear fruit, the Father will take away, the gardener will take away. And we'll see the fate of the unfruitful branches when we come to verse 6. But he says, Every branch that does bear fruit, the Father will prune that it may bear more fruit. Now, pruning is a powerful image. Uh, When I was about six or seven, uh, my parents bought the yard that they have in the country right now, uh, which used to be called Garden Gate Nurseries, as a place they sold plants. And so our, our backyard had a mini orchard. And I remember going with my dad to prune the apple trees. And the way that dad explained pruning really stuck with me. Uh, We cut off the unfruitful or the damaged branches so that the tree can concentrate its effort and energy into producing more fruit. It makes the tree healthier and more efficient. And so Jesus uses this image to describe what God does in the life of every believer, every single fruitful branch. He prunes. He cuts some things off. Now, trees don't feel pain, but for us, the branches in Christ's metaphor, I believe this pruning process is not always pleasant. It is roughly here the same thought as in Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 11, uh, where God is described there as the loving Father who will discipline every son whom he loves, all of his true children. Hebrews 12:11. though the discipline is painful at the time, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so just as in that passage where he says all true sons will experience the Lord's discipline, 
Here, Jesus says, every fruitful branch can expect pruning. None of us will escape the gardener's shears. It is necessary, and we see ultimately beneficial. It will make us more fruitful. And that raises a question, what does Jesus mean here by fruitful? I know for us who are uh, familiar with the scriptures, who have maybe grown up in the church, we kind of just use this language very commonly, so we kind of just make the assumption here. Uh, But notice Jesus doesn't actually say in the text specifically what this fruitfulness is, but if you examine, I think it comes through pretty clearly. Uh, So just looking at this passage, fruitfulness is that which is produced in us as a result of being joined to the vine, verse 5. Fruitfulness is what the gardener, the father, is aiming to produce in us through his pruning, verse 2. Fruitfulness is what demonstrates that we are healthy branches who are being nourished by Christ the vine, verse 6. It is how we glorify God with our lives, and it is how we give evidence that we truly are Christ's disciples, uh, verse 8. So, we get a pretty good picture here of what fruitfulness is. It is righteousness. It is love for Christ being expressed in obedience. It is good works, conformity to Christ's image. It is the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of being grafted into Christ, the vine. It is a change of life resulting from a change of heart worked by God. In a word, it is sanctification growing in holiness. So this pruning then is the imagery of God cutting things off of us that will now result in our being made more fruitful. It's a potentially painful process that is ultimately serving our good, our growth in grace and maturity, our increased fruitfulness. To borrow from last week's metaphor, it is the work of God in us to renovate our hearts to be made into a suitable dwelling place for God. And at times, this can be a painful process. As C.S. Lewis writes, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that these jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably, and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself, close quote. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He renovates, he sanctifies. And so what a great blessing it is to be reminded by Christ that those painful things which God does in you and sometimes to you 
are serving his glory and his best interest. Where we are tempted to complain about the pain, asking, ah, why is God doing this? We are reminded of the purpose. Now, knowing the purpose does not remove the pain, but it does remind us to trust in the purposes of God. And so in this way, we are enabled to give thanks to God, even for the things that hurt, because we trust that he has a good purpose for them. Romans 5, verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces character, uh, pardon me, that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Or James 1 verse 2 and following, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Rejoice in our sufferings. Count our trials all joy. Why? Are we sadists? We just like pain? No. We see we are called to rejoice even in our trials, because of what God is doing through them. Because of what he is aiming to produce in us. He is pruning us. So that we may become even more fruitful. So brothers and sisters, make this your aim. Transform the way that you view your trials. Trust in God. Trust that the vine dresser knows what he's doing. Trust that he never makes a mistake. That no cut is ever wasted. God is simply cutting away what hinders our fruitfulness. And so strive to grow through your trials. To respond in the best way possible to set yourself up for growth. Grow to see things as God does. You know, we hear of this purpose for our trials, that God is aiming at fruitfulness to us, and perhaps that's not a satisfactory reason for us. And I think part of why that is often an unsatisfactory explanation is that we are frequently less interested in our own holiness than God is. So we must share God's priority see ourselves grow in holiness, to grow in fruitfulness, that we would glorify him with our lives and be so committed to that aim that we would rejoice at the opportunity to grow. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. So Jesus says to his disciples that they are already clean because of the word that he has spoken. Now earlier, to be clean was to be genuinely in Christ. As he applied it in chapter 13, he said that all of his disciples were clean except Judas. And so here now, Jesus is saying that it is his word that has started them off as clean and fruitful. Joseph Benson writes that Jesus is saying, All of you to whom I speak are made clean from the guilt and power of sin through the word which I have spoken unto you, whose sanctifying influence has operated on your hearts, and which, when applied by the Spirit, is the grand instrument of purifying the soul. Now, I know this is somewhat complicated language, but the basic idea is this. It is through receiving Christ's words, through trusting and believing them, that his disciples are joined to the vine. Believing in him. Truly believing. Right? Not just an intellectual assent to the, to the facts, not just knowing the truth, but a true, deep, and personal trust, receiving and resting in Christ. True, saving faith. This is the means by which we are joined to Christ. We are united to him by faith. And so believing in his word in this way is the way to receive him, who is the word incarnate. And so through this union with Christ, right, simply being grafted into the vine by faith, we are made positionally clean in God's sight. Right? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. The guilt of our sin is removed through what Christ has done. We are joined to him, and now all that he has done is credited to our account. His death for sin pays our debt. It removes our guilt. We are then clothed in his perfect righteousness and are therefore justified by God, right? Declared not guilty, declared righteous in God's sight. Right? That's being grafted into the vine. That's being joined to Christ. That is where we begin, those who have true faith in Christ. And now the main point of this text is that all those branches who are truly joined to the vine in this way will produce fruit. But Jesus points out that in order to produce fruit, you must abide in the vine. No branch can produce fruit by itself. Right? If you see a branch just lying on the ground by itself, severed from the vine, that will not be a fruitful branch. Will not be producing anything. And so Jesus says, neither will you be fruitful unless you abide in me. 
Now, this word abide is to continue, to remain, uh, to stay with him. We have this picture of the branch on a vine. It must remain in the vine in order to produce any fruit. And that is because what the branch needs in order to be fruitful, it gets, it receives from the vine. Sever that branch from the vine. The branch withers and dies. And it does not produce anything. And so here I think we have one of the clearest illustrations of the relationship between salvation and good works. Right? All of the man-made religions, they all focus on what we do. Right? Follow these guidelines. Do these things, these five pillars, whatever, these good works. Do, do, do. And so people who are learning about Christianity tend to assume the same thing. They think, I must do something. I need to clean up my life a little bit before I come to church. I need to get things in order on my own so that God will accept me. I need to have some progress to show, some good works to bring before God so that he will accept me. You see how this text answers that idea. You think you're going to clean yourself up? You think you'll have something to offer God? You're a branch trying to bear fruit on its own, severed from the vine. That is not how this works. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know that apart from Christ, all of our attempts at righteousness are filthy rags? We are tainted by sin. Anything we would bring before God is tainted by sin. The Apostle Paul speaks of trying to establish righteousness on our own, by our own efforts, and he points out he would have a better claim to this than most people. Right? He has much to boast in. He writes in Philippians, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, right? reason to be confident in what you yourself have done, he says, I have more reason. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, right? the most scrupulous law keepers, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's saying if ever there was somebody who could have confidence that they had done enough, they had reason in the flesh apart from Christ, it was him. Right? He had the right pedigree. He had the right lineage. He did the right things in the eyes of his peers. He was an exemplary Jew. Paul says of it all, it was worthless. He continues on. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. We are made clean by the word of Christ. Receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. You are grafted into the vine by faith. Not by the fruit you bring. Put that out of your mind. Your acceptance before God does not depend on you or anything in you. It is solely about being in Christ. So we must get the order right. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. And with all of that said, fruit matters. It is important. Not as the means by which we are joined to the vine, but as evidence that we are. It is how you may know, Jesus says, that a branch is in the vine. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Jesus says certain things will be true of all branches that are truly connected to the vine. Right? Certain things will follow from this. Whoever abides in Christ will bear much fruit. His words. So if a branch truly is on the vine, the life of the vine will flow into that branch. Right? Nourishing sap will flow into the branches and will produce fruit. That branch will be alive. It will be healthy, for it has a living, a vital connection to the vine. And the result of this will be fruit. And so you see the order. Good works do not save us. They play no part in joining us to the vine. But they will follow for all those who are joined to Christ. They are the fruit of our union with Christ, the product of being joined to the vine. As our membership statement of faith has it, true saving faith and the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people will result in good works. These good works flow from true saving faith. They are a necessary result of faith but are not to be considered necessary to the gaining of justification, which is by God's grace, through faith alone, so that no man can boast. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So can fruit be said to be in any way necessary? Yes. Necessary in order to be grafted into the vine? No. But necessary evidence 
that we are in the vine. Necessary evidence that we are abiding in the vine. For if you claim that fruit is not necessary in any way, right, take Jesus' metaphor here. You are then claiming that dead branches can be in the vine. You are saying that dead faith can be saving faith. You are saying that the Spirit does no work in some of those whom he indwells. You are saying that Christ will sometimes free someone from the penalty of sin, but leave them enslaved to the power of sin. That for some people, their true union with Christ actually produces nothing in them at all. That is not what Christ teaches. A nominal Christian, that is a Christian in name only, is no Christian at all. Those who think they can claim Christ, claim the gospel, so as to obtain a license to sin and avoid its consequences, make a mockery of grace. They give evidence with their lives that they have no part in this matter. They know nothing of Christ or his grace. And so they should not comfort themselves with false assurances of pardon. A professing Christian who has no love for Christ is making an empty profession. They are not abiding in Christ. His words are not abiding in them. So their profession of faith is a lie. Those who abide in Christ produce fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Branches that bear no fruit give evidence that they are not truly united to the vine. And their destination is the fire. Again, not because they didn't have enough fruit to earn a way into heaven, but rather their complete lack of fruit demonstrates that they were not abiding in the vine. They were not united to Christ. And so what they might have declared with their mouths that Jesus is Lord was contradicted by what they declared with their lives. Sin is Lord. Lust is my Lord. Money is Lord. Alcohol is Lord. I am my own Lord. They bear no fruit, no repentance, no love for God, no zeal for him, no desire to obey his word, to live for him, to glorify him. And so they, they show themselves then to be dead, fruitless branches. Those branches will be gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Flee from the wrath to come. Flee to Christ. Throw yourself upon his mercy like the tax collector who would not even lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying earnestly, God, have mercy on me, 
a sinner. Let's continue on. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus says here, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So we see that the corollary to abiding in Christ is Christ's words abiding in us. Right? That is, that we would do all that Christ commands. Christ's words abide in us. What does that mean? It means they have their place in us. Christ's words are not chased out of our hearts in favor of us doing things on our own terms. Right? Christ's words, Christ's commands, Christ's teachings abide in us, have a place in us. And this is Christ's own explanation of what it means to abide in him. Sinclair Ferguson writes, So if you want to dwell in Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16 Leave no room in your life locked, no cupboard door closed to it. Let his words bring light to your mind. Let them warm your affections for Christ. Let them subdue your will to his. The word of Christ is the instrument of Christ used by the spirit of Christ to nurture union with Christ and to transform us into the image of Christ. And so here now we come to some practical instruction. While we've seen many implications that flow from this text, if you actually look to the text itself, there's really only one imperative that Jesus gives, right? One actionable instruction, right? Only one thing in this text that Christ actually tells his disciples to do. Did he catch it? It is the call to abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Remain in him. So if by the grace of God you've been convicted this morning and are wanting something actionable for yourself, something to take home, let it be this. Abide in Christ. Continue in him. Start here. Start with Christ. Remember this point that Christ made. True fruitfulness the fruitfulness that God is aiming at flows from our connection to the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The health of the branch depends entirely on its connection to the vine. I remember a conversation I had once where I had been encouraging someone for some time to pursue joy in God and to battle anxiety. And almost in despair, they said, you know, I, I tried. I just can't do it. I try to be joyful. I try hard not to be anxious, but I just can't. It, it doesn't work. So I asked, did you pray? Right? In, all, in all of your efforts, did you pray? Did you bring this to God? Did you ask for his help, for his grace, for his strength? Well, no. So you've been trying to do this in your own strength? Trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Not going to happen. Abide in Christ. You are a branch. He is the vine. 
you need the vine. He is the only means to true fruitfulness. Do you want to bear fruit? Do you want to kill sin? Do you want to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, all the fruit of the Spirit? Begin by pursuing Christ. I can speak to this from experience. In fighting sin, I have found no more effective long-term strategy than pursuing joy in God. Christ's words have been true in, in my life. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Every other means of sin feels like playing whack-a-mole, right? You, you smack that one sin down and then three others pop their ugly heads up. Your strength in fighting sin, in bearing fruit, comes through your union with the vine. He is the means of nourishing sap to the branch. He is the source of sin-killing power. So cultivate your joy in him. Let his words abide in you. John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Saturate yourselves in the word of God. Let your homes, your minds, your hearts be soaked in scripture. Speak of these things when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. May it be true of you what Spurgeon said of John Bunyan. Prick him anywhere and he bleeds Bibline. Right? You, you poke him and he bleeds scripture. Right? God's word is what flows forth. Soak in the word. Meditate on the word. Let the words of Christ abide in you. Right? Don't just take God's word in and then spit it out the next moment as you run to the next task. Chew it. Ponder it. Work it over in your mind. Ask yourself, what does this text reveal of God? How can I apply this to my life? Is there a challenge for me here? Is there something to be encouraged by? Something uh, to remember and believe in certain circumstances? It is through meditation that we drive these truths from our minds down into our hearts. Then bring the fruit of that meditation back to God in prayer. Right? This is the pattern of daily communion with God. Go to God to get the grace to battle sin. Do not try to fight in your own strength. Do not simply deal with the symptoms, but get to the root. Discover this truth, that there is more joy, more satisfaction in deep communion with God than there is in sin. Right? Fight fire with fire. Fight sin's promise of pleasure with the power of a superior pleasure. Joy in God. In Jeremiah 2.13, God laments. He says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A massive part of the battle against sin is learning to see things rightly. God is the fountain 
of living waters. Fresh, clear, soul-satisfying. Sin is the putrid muck at the bottom of the broken cisterns that we dig for ourselves. Do you want to battle sin? Do you want to produce fruit? Abide in Christ. Go to God, the fountain of living waters. Be nourished by Christ, the vine. Pursue joy in him and receive the grace, strength, and joy that he intends to be for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As we abide in Christ and his words abide in us, we are conformed progressively into his image. As this happens, our prayers will prove effective, for we will be asking more and more according to the will of God. And it is through all of this that the Father is glorified, and we prove to be Christ's disciples. God desires for us to be fruitful. It is how we glorify God with our lives. By living as changed people, new creatures in Christ, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. Fruit is necessary. Not as that which in itself saves us, but necessary as evidence that we have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved. Being a healthy, fruitful branch is what demonstrates that you are connected to the vine. As Jesus says here, it is what proves you are his disciples. They will know us by our love. Our love, Jesus says, will be known by our obedience. Christ's words abiding in us. Our lives aiming at the glory of God in all things. Being fruitful branches. So brothers and sisters, abide in Christ. Commune with Christ the vine. Let his word dwell in you richly. May you bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. Amen.